shows and that's cool Talking about movies that you once thought sucked But now you realize that they rock They might still suck Fear and Nothing Podcast Wow Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast, where we're taking those movies you once thought were bad, but we're here to tell you now today, revisiting them. They're quite amazing. Maybe, maybe not. Today's episode is all about that 1998 summer blockbuster life, Godzilla, directed by Roland Emmerich. And I am Brian Kluger, and I am joined by the two hosts with the most, the two people who I run around New York City looking for fish, looking for eggs, looking for lizards, Preston Barta and Dan Moran. Preston, how are you? I'm good. Who's who's your worm guy? Because it should be Matthew Broderick. Yeah, he's he's my worm guy. He's I've got worms. Very dumb and dumber esque. Or the <laughs> office. Yeah, or the you, office. Yeah. How much are you paying for your worms? Yeah, Who's your worm you... guy. <laughs> and then we got Dan. Dan, how are you, bud? I am doing great. I'm just fishing on an end of a pier, and it seems like something big keeps pulling my bait under, and I can't figure out what it is. Yeah, well, I will sit there on the edge of the pier by yourself and, you know, wait till the last second to run. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Godzilla 1998. Um, again, directed by Roland Emmerich, who we all know is the guy who gave us Universal Soldier, Stargate, Independence Day, The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, White House Down, Midway, Moonfall most recently. Um, the screenplay was by Dean Devlin, who's worked with Roland Emmerich a lot. Um, and the movie star is Matthew Broderick, Jean Renault, Maria Patillo, and then almost the entire Simpsons cast, uh, including Hank Azaria, Harry Shearer, and Nancy Cartwright. Uh, you also have Kevin Dunn in there and Michael Lerner, who we'll get to in a little bit. But back in 1998, I was 16, going on 17 years old. And I remember this movie, the marketing for this movie was insane. You know, all the public buses and subways and stuff like that in town was like, his tail is as long as this train car. His foot is the size of this bus. And it was the year of Godzilla. Even Taco Bell got in on it with back then, God or Taco Bell had a mascot, which was a little chihuahua. <laughs> and the chihuahua even got in on that right yeah i have i still have that toy i gave it to my son that's awesome because he the the little chihuahua and taco bell if you don't remember you say yo quiero taco bell and with the promotion for godzilla he go here lizard 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 <laughs> was, yeah <laughs> it was so good and so like everything was about this movie for the summer of 1998 like this was the thing um and i remember going into it because i remember growing up and watching you know the old godzilla movies um and i'm glad you remember growing up i do i do remember growing up <laughs> and i That's watched good. godzilla i did I, I don't know why i remember it um and this was a big first like kind of big budget american version of it and watching it i think back then 
I enjoyed it for like the carnage from what it is, but I remember not liking it a whole lot other than that. Cause there was just a lot of things wrong with it. Um, even though I'm a big King Kong fan, it's one of my favorite movies and it had a lot of similar elements to this one where they try to do and we'll get into like what happened and who was originally involved in this movie but that was kind of my stake at the time uh Preston what do you remember seeing this because you might have been 10 and this for you I know you love Jurassic Park and it, does it have a Jurassic Park feel to it do you remember it yeah so I loved this movie a lot as a kid so much so I still think that there are drawings at my dad's work where I used to draw this particular design of Godzilla. I watched the animated series that followed it. I remember going to Hawaii a few years later and going to the site where they made the movie or specifically where the footprint is in the ground. I remember flying a helicopter over it and seeing it. And so it was a big deal to me when I was young. Um, so yeah, I had nothing but love for it as a kid and watching it again this morning. And it has been probably 15 plus years since I had seen it, but still so much about it, um, was kind of special to me. I still think it's a, we'll probably get to our opinions. What is it? 25 years later or so now, um, what I really think about it now, but I, yeah, it's, it was, it was special to me at the time. And so I, I still have some space in my heart for it. Good deal. Dan, do you have similar uh, story or did you hate it when it came out? Yeah. Did you love it? What, what, what do you think? No, I think we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, since we're in June here and summer movie season, like this movie was an event. I mean, people think that, media blitzes of movies are a thing now or oh i see this trailer everywhere or, oh this ad on this website like godzilla took over the world for an entire summer you say the taco bell commercial but it was like you said bus stands it was like every single place there could be some image of godzilla or something about like it's coming or he's coming and just like his footprint in different places I remember um, there was a grocery store or maybe it was a Walmart or something that had like the, the full size footprint, like down the um, aisle of the toys, like saying like the toys are coming or something like that, or he's dropping off the toys like this movie. You could not escape it. Everyone was excited for it. Um, anyone who says that they weren't at least mildly interested in it, whether they were planning to hate it or love it is a liar. I stand by that. Um because you just couldn't escape it. You had to have an opinion on this movie. It was so big. And yeah, I was totally caught up in it. I was so excited to go see this. And I think my, when I initially saw it, I'm sure I was like, that was the greatest movie ever because it was all the hype train and everyone talking about it. And it was so big. And then I think that it was garbage. And now my view has obviously changed and watching it again last night, there were a lot of things that I, rolled my eyes at but quite a few things where i was like that's actually pretty good or that's actually a good idea or that was executed pretty well so a, a, another movie we have that's a complete mixed bag but no i was i remember where i was i remember the theater i saw it in it was it was an event 
It was. It it is an event. It, it is. I remember that production, and I remember seeing it again. You know, just being in awe of kind of like what Roland Emmerich was capable of, and having this uh, giant lizard. Uh, but let let's talk about a little bit about the pre production of this movie. So originally, this movie, the U.S. studios had bought the rights from Toho Incorporated. And they were working on it for a number of years. And in 1994, Jan DeBont was slated to direct Godzilla. And Jan DeBont gave us Speed and Twister and this podcast's first episode, Speed 2. <laughs> um, he also produced SLC Punk and Equilibrium Minority Report. Uh, and I'm just curious on what kind of happened here because it seemed like the studio wanted to go a different way, but Jan DeBont left and it was going to focus more on what we see now in the monster verse and what the recent Godzilla's movies did. It was going to be Godzilla being either a villain or a friendly thing, a friendly creature not brought out um, by nuclear war, but um, or nuclear testing, but kind of like a Kaiju, a creature and I feel like this would have been great in 1998. But then, of course, he left the project and Roland Emmerich came aboard. And for Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin to sign on, they told the studio, like, we need to have creative control to do this. And I think that's where their mistakes were coming in was when they wanted to do something kind of different. And this is the Godzilla we see today. So with Preston, let me ask you. Do you like this creep more? I don't know if it's creative, but do you like this alternate version of Godzilla where he's not a kaiju born of a creature who's trying to protect humans or Earth from disasters? He's more of a real lizard that was subjected to nuclear testing who grew big and is just an animal trying to survive. What do you think about that? I would have liked it more if the ending was different. Because I feel like I, I do like that this is a different approach to the story. I feel like maybe the animated series that follows it kind of corrects that alternate path a bit and makes it more like it's like your friendly neighborhood Godzilla type of thing. Um, but this one, <laughs> it's not it's not really the case at all. Like it's a monster of human creation. And not to jump too ahead here, but I think this is my biggest problem watching it today is that I feel like it needs to end in a way, but they, this no studio, no filmmakers, at least to my mind, would have the balls to do something like this where it ends with human extinction. I think this movie needed to end like Girl with All the Gifts and asking this question of, are humans, should humans be the dominant species here? Because I think that would have made it more interesting film in a kind of like Rise of the Planet of the Apes kind of way or War of the Planet of the Apes, that whole trilogy, because I find that interesting that the move, that tril specific trilogy had the goal to be able to do something like that. And I think that's what this should, where this should have gone, because I'm going to tell you, I was watching it this morning and I I knew how it ends. I knew I I knew all that and I was kind of 
bracing myself for that because I, like I've talked about in the past with like Jurassic Park or any of those films, I don't like watching animals get killed, especially something like this, where it's just like, it's, it's just operating within its nature. It's, it's a animal trying to, uh, you know, create, create life of its own. And, and it would have, it had the potential to take over the world and, it would be just Godzilla's everywhere. And it, that would be the next dominant species. Um, and so that's what happens in the girl with all the gifts is um, not to spoil that film, but that's just kind of where it goes. And I, and I love that that movie did that. So I would have liked it more ultimately if it had capitalized on that initial approach and made it more unique. Cause I feel like it ends in such a way that it's so Hollywood and typical blockbuster of the nineties kind of a thing where everybody is like high-fiving and the guy gets the girl and all that shit. It's Correct. Just, yeah. I, it, it, it's so it's frustrating to me that it, it ends that way. And it could have been, it could have been a much better movie. Cause I think the, the, the beginning half of it is the better half of the movie. Right. It it is. I agree with that. Um, and to go along with what you're saying, it's very Jurassic Park like, you know, it's very um, can if, if we let these dinosaurs roam free and as we saw in sequels, like it just I don't know if the two could exist like lizards exist, but something that gigantic, I don't know if it could exist. Um as the way they portrayed it in the 1998 version. Um, and even like it has like that sentimental quality of King Kong, where King Kong is a giant ape and Heart beating and all that. Yeah. Right. And he's, you know, he's an animal and he's, and in this case, and in King, King Kong's case, he's kidnapped and brought to this, uh, to the city. But, you know, um, it seems like Godzilla is just trying to live his life. And when humans start firing at it, he has to protect itself, even when, you know, it starts to reproduce asexually, very Jurassic Park like. So um, yeah. even with even, like, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say they even have like a scene where they go up through the vents. Yep. And all, all kinds of nods throughout here. Um, and, and nods to movies like you mentioned with King Kong. But I would be interested to know if you maybe you can recall your feelings because you were you were older watching this and I was a bit younger. And so I, you know, I didn't go with my critics hat on. I went in for the the Michael Bayness of it all. Um, do, do you I because I wonder if critics were or any watch older watchers at the time, how they felt watching this? Because when I watch it now, I'm like. I'm totally rooting for Godzilla. I don't want humanity to succeed at all when, when it comes to them firing and destroying the buildings. Like obviously the, the movie's trying to make a point to show, at least to from my perspective, that it's trying to show a little bit that humanity is terrible and they're they're creators of their own chaos and the movie still kind of ends in a way where there's do they do they have that moment of reflection where they're like maybe we shouldn't we should really reflect on what we did here because we we did all this yeah we stopped it but at what cost that's a lot of that's a lot of major uh, collateral damage there but yet it still ends with like high fiving and hoorays and I'm like fuck all y'all 
<laughs> so. It's like the Avengers Civil War, Captain America Civil War. They had to have the Accords. Uh, I don't know. I well, I know e Siskel and Ebert hated the movie, and that's probably because they're biased. Because in the movie, <laughs> yeah, Roland, the mayor. Um, yeah, Roland Emmerich created a character that looked like Roger Ebert called Mayor Ebert. He's always eating, and then his right hand man is named Gene for Gene Siskel, and they're constantly saying like, "Y'all don't know anything." To and each they got other. The, the thumbs up campaign. Yeah, the thumbs that. up campaign. Like it was like it was crazy. So I'm sure well, that's why they didn't like it, uh, amongst other reasons. But it seems like a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Dan, tell me, please, what thoughts on kind of maybe the human verse nature here and what you thought about it then and what you think about that now with Godzilla think, in this case. Yeah, I think what Preston was saying is 100% right. All those themes and all those possibilities, the whole movie was ripe for them to have that sort of commentary or do something, but it didn't. It didn't. It was essentially, uh, it had no, there was no finesse. There was no tact. There was no soft-handed like, let's try to make the people think we had to get to the next thing. And it was essentially like, I feel like Roland Emmerich and them being like, big monster, shoot at monster. People go, yay. And that's how the movie felt. And that's what they were going for. And that's what they nailed. Because, you know, you look at the newer Godzilla, the one with Brian Cranston and um, uh, Aaron Taylor name? Johnson, Aaron Taylor Johnson. And they and they kind of explore a thing. Like, I think the whole that Godzilla movie. I think Godzilla's actually on screen something like 16 minutes and the movie's like two hours and 20 minutes long, but it's about, holy crap, what did we awaken? This is our doing. How are we coping with this? There's a new paradigm shift in the whole world. And in this one, it was like, we have to kill this ugly monster. And I, I don't know if there's reading about how Toho, who owns all the rights to Godzilla, like completely were like, we have to brand this one as Zilla. We refuse to call it Godzilla because it's clearly not the design. We don't want anything to do with it. We want a separate offshoot. I don't know if they went back and changed and added in the death scene so it could be like over and wash their hands of it or what. Because what I noticed last night is the special effects of the Brooklyn Bridge. We can get into the 1998-ness of the special effects. But the scene of him being shot at on the bridge is some of the worst stuff I've ever seen. And I couldn't find anything online about it being a reshoot or added in later. But even with Matthew Broderick and them walking up to the thing dying and watching the life go out of his eyes. And he was like, I thought for a second he was going to have me have a human moment. But then it turns into like, all right, celebration. And it felt like those people were on like a weird green screen set. So I don't know if they added in that finale and maybe they had a different plan, hoping that it would go a certain distance, but the producers and the people who own the rights started to back away from it or what. But that that really struck me, the ending of them just straight up tang tangling a monster that they were chasing in, in metal wires and then just relentlessly shooting it three times i think because the the, the, yeah. the shit or the the planes go by once they turn back around and then there's other things on the ground shooting at it seemed very deliberate way to like we're ending this version of godzilla to me well you got to think like roland emmerich is independence day like it ends the same way fucking everybody cheering it's the star wars ending everybody's cheering and slapping hands and dancing he wanted that with godzilla because it works so well with independence day 
Um, and say what you will, it is. But humanity didn't create the aliens. Correct, correct. But he still and that's, wanted that's that. the problem. But yeah, I understand. Right, and it ends. You know that's sad to see that happen. But back then in 1998, people wanted to like this is summer blockbuster. We want to feel depressed. We want to feel everybody's ex- excited that this monster is not going to kill people in New York well, anymore. I think, I, but I think the Preston's point. What what he's saying is like they could have destroyed all the eggs, and Godzilla could have escaped, and it could have been like oh no, what else is out there? Even just a line like that from like a scientist or something like that to open the possibility to to have some recognition of what they did. But no, you're right, Brian. It was like, we all need to clap at the end of this for death. <laughs> right. Now, that's- what, what, what they should have done, if I, because as I was watching this, my son caught the tail end of it and I had to tell him ahead of time. I was like, just so you know, like they're going to kill this thing. They're going to kill all the babies. <laughs> they're going to do all that. I want you to know that, but there is going to be one baby left at the very end. So there, there's some hope there, but just, and he did, he got really teary eyed at seeing the the bridge sequence. He's like, why does that have to happen? Daddy, can you make a new one? I'm no, I didn't, <laughs> I, it was very bizarre to me. So I think what I would have done instead of doing a lot of that type of stuff, I don't know if I would have set up this whole concept of like how fast these Godzillas make babies. Cause they're like born pregnant. And, and they, at one point in the film, it says like, by the end of the year, there'll be 440,000 of them. And I was like, well, that, that, I mean, that you just wrote your own problem there. I don't think you needed to do that. What would have made it interesting and probably would have created a little more interest going forward. I don't know if it needed to share the same universe as the movie Deep Rising because that movie is rated R, but at least Deep Rising was trying to set up something for Skull Island. Um, there needed to be like some sort of tease to for another monster or something to be there so it could fall in line. And I think that's why a lot of the Godzilla movies the original Godzilla movies are fun. It's because anytime that humanity got involved with it, it just, it became too problematic. And I think humans at a certain point were realizing that we can't fight this thing. We have to kind of treat it like this friendly neighborhood kind of Godzilla. Um, and that there are, there's more to the world out there and that we don't know about and there may be greater creatures and i think that's what they should have set up they should have set up that we can't kill this thing we shouldn't destroy it but there's nature needs to fight fight it off and not and humans shouldn't intervene and so i think that's what should have happened i don't know that all of what it explored with the the babies and killing it on the bridge. Um, maybe I think so go, to say um, Jean Renault is probably my favorite character in the entire film because him and his crew are taking full accountability for them be creating this thing. And so, yeah, they're, they, they still ultimately want to destroy it, but I feel like there's a little more humanity to them to a degree and i think what may have saved this or made it a little bit better is if while all of humanity's clapping like matthew broderick has like the shared phone call with jean renault or or even his girlfriend that he's walking with like man we like really fucked up or like what are we clapping for we we just 
destroy like there just needed to be a, a conversation there about like something i think that's what makes uh king kong like a, a good movie despite them killing it at the very end uh you know there's still a line there at least in the peter jackson one about like you know it was beauty that killed the beast and that like and it has this sort of like sad reflection on what humanity has done and i think it needed to do that or do something with like a larger monster universe um right so i think it does it it does do it has that little moment in the middle of the movie where matthew broderick and godzilla come face to face and everybody's about to fire on it and he waves his hand don't do it and there's like that sentimental yeah moment and i think that's the moment we wanted at the end of the movie but we got that in the middle of the movie so And it's like in, in 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 the government or the military they did it twice they th they they thought that they killed it and it's like in the river and then i feel like there was some sort of understanding across like kind of like what what did we do but then they do it again and so <laughs> it it's all up in the air dan what 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 are you thinking uh i mean yeah i feel like we're doing like the the PETA work of Godzilla 1998 <laughs> like it just it wasn't there weren't any I, there were talented people working on this but there there wasn't anyone smart working on this script uh, I mean I'll just I'll just come out and say it it's it's to me it's I it was a highly entertaining movie I think that there are set pieces or fun like scary moments like the joke that I said about earlier um about being on the end of the pier. I think there are effective sequences in this movie that are just incredible and could be recreated today and be just as suspenseful or interesting and fun and thrilling. But we, what we just talked about for the past 10 minutes is there's nothing rewarding from a um, storytelling or theme perspective, but as a, as a pure blockbuster images going into our eyeballs, there is a lot of stuff in here. I think that is, frankly brilliant i mean him pulling the um in the opening the the three boats that were doing the fishing and just yeah, the, pulling jaw, those the boats jaws down. moment yeah it, i mean yeah it's an absolute jaws ripoff moment but it's it's an incredible moment i loved every single second of it it worked yeah. i was like oh my gosh this is so awesome even the pier thing yes is it stupid that the 90 year old man can outrun the planks flying <laughs> as Godzilla comes up for that one fish. Yeah, it's dumb, but it's still one of those things when he's just out there fishing and it, and it gets pulled in, it, it makes me laugh. And I'm like, man, this is just a really fun movie. But, you know, just to, before we talk about all the fun stuff in it, I got to say, you know, we're defending Godzilla, you know, nature, all that sort of stuff. But Godzilla's kind of stupid to coming to the most, like the second most populous city to lay all of its eggs inside of Madison Square Garden. So well, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't know. I mean, Bra Broderick kind of explains that a little bit. He's like it's like an island surrounded by water and all that stuff. And, you know, he's not coming from Japan. He's coming from French Polynesia. But I don't know. So it's interesting you bring that up about, you know, the script. So out of everybody, I think, who really worked on this movie, Matthew Broderick's the one sole person that really defends this movie like even emmerich himself doesn't defend it he's like we i this was a failure and this is why and then even the writer dean devlin came out and said like yes we screwed this up we failed at yeah. it and the two big flaws i mean i want to ask you about that so he said the two big flaws dean devlin the writer of godzilla said the one the first flaw big flaw was they did not commit to godzilla being a heroic or villainous character 
um, because they just wanted an animal trying to survive in New York. And the other one was uh, to have the characters kind of being a thing at the beginning, but have them kind of do stuff during the action scenes, like their development type of thing. Uh, and they take full responsibility um, in it uh, for it failing that way. And to me, you know, hearing that when you had Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin coming off of Independence Day and then wind and then saying to the studio, Oh, we're coming aboard, we want to do our own thing. And it kind of goes back to like that Kevin Smith story about Nicolas Cage Superman with John Peters saying, like, I don't want to see Superman fly, I don't want to see him in the suit, I don't want him to do this. Just like, what fucking Superman is this? And then like here I kind of picture them saying, like, I don't want Godzilla to breathe fire. I don't want him to fight monsters. I just want him to be a lizard that got big you know like something like that and what where is the godzilla in the story it's just a giant lizard roaming around or a giant dinosaur but they call it godzilla and so i wonder if that was kind of the thing well i mean dan what do you think about that uh I, it's probably 100 percent true and obviously i mean i respect the hell out of anyone who puts this much work and time into making a movie realizes it doesn't work and then even if it's years later can come out and be like you know what that one just didn't work. Here's why I don't think it's work. I appreciate the people who like it. Like I love when directors and people can do that. I'm never going to be like, you worked on this movie. If you love it and you're proud of it, good. But if they come out and they're like, here's why it didn't work. And here's what I believe. I'm like, well, this is just refreshing to hear. And that's probably true. And, and it's like what we talked about, what I mentioned earlier. And we kind of discussed, like, I don't think the people who own the rights to Godzilla wanted anything to do with this movie. Once they saw the design and probably got treatments for the story, they were like, no, nope. <laughs> no, 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 we're good and it, it seems like in future things they for them to have an offshoot of it and just like pretend it doesn't exist and like really not give the rights to any more american made films until the what was that 2015 the right yeah Edward, like it took them a long time that's we had yeah. to wash that taste off from then of all the critics press what do you think about that what do you think about them dean devlin and Roland Emmerich saying these things years later about Godzilla. Uh, I think I, I agree with Dan. I think that them them taking accountability of that is 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 good, especially the point about not sure which side of heroic or villain hero or villain to fall with with their Godzilla, because that, that that's the problem. I think if they had like the Jurassic world kind of approach when you, when they created this genetically mutated T-Rex Raptor thing, and it ends up just killing things for sport. And so say if humanity created this monster and it ended up actually being a monster that killed things and destroyed cities. And that would have made it different Then I probably would have said, all right, you take out your guns and kill this thing because you're creating you're creating some feeling within me to actually hate this thing. Um, but because it just kind of lands somewhere in between, but more so just being a creature that just wants to survive and do all of what it knows, it doesn't know that humanity acts like this and that they 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 fear the unknown and they'll just kill it without just taking a second to really pause and evaluate the situation. So it's like pull the trigger first and ask questions later. Yeah. Um, so um, 
Well, you were to yeah. say something, Dan? What were you going to say? I was going to say, I, I think what Preston just said triggered in my head how they would have fixed the movie in today's day and age is Matthew Broderick would have like hijacked a fish boat and like crashed it into just like the end of Lost World and crashed it into a, um, you know, yeah. into an island and, and the thing would hop out. Like they would have stolen, it wouldn't have been that many eggs. They would have like distracted it, taken the eggs out and then crashed it into an island and then be like, now this is the whatever center of wherever it was. And it would have ended with them being like, but who knows what else we created directed by Roland Emmerich. <laughs> that's yeah. how, that's how <laughs> yeah. it would have been in today's world. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's because of the baby, the, the baby thing and how fast that they create is the problem. Uh, yes. I, I think if they would have taken that out and maybe, I, I don't know. I'm not a film writer. And so, I mean, there, there's some strong suggestions in here that we've made. Um, so uh, yeah, it, 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 I think they could have saved it if they didn't do the whole baby aspect. I honestly thought, what is it? Uh, birds and lizards, like, um in, imprint on like the first thing they see after they hatch out of an egg or something like that i yeah. for a second was like wait do all these babies start following matthew broderick around thinking he is like mama Zilla? mama yeah yeah and i thought that for a second and then it didn't happen they were just like no these infants all need to die yeah, yeah. They, they, they smell like fish and that's why we got to kill them yeah. right and i think like they were probably again in the pitch meetings and writing there's like oh my god the velociraptor in jurassic park like that's what people remember we need that in our movie we need to have 20 of them we need to have 50 of them running around wreaking havoc like I, i'm sure that's what they that's that's how it came up you know <laughs> Like we just yeah. can't have one big monster. We have to have these little velociraptors running around. So ten would have done. It's, ten would it's have like done. They're, they're they're they were making decisions more so on the visual aspect of it, and not so much on logic and and and, and the heart of it all. I, I think they were thinking more about like oh, you know, seeing seeing like a hundred of these things in the Madison Square Garden and opening doors and and all that and so yeah i don't think they were thinking about these deeper questions that we're asking so now i gotta ask so a lot of the gripes and a lot of the criticisms over the years for this movie is that it was miscast the acting is not good and i'm a big fan of matthew broderick i like him a lot of people in their reviews back then and have still said he is hugely miscast in this role. And upon watching it again, I was like, he's fucking awesome in this role. Like he plays the scientist yeah. who's trying, he's the level head. And unlike most movies today where there's a scientist in the army and they're butting heads, it seems like the army's kind of listening to Matthew Broderick in this one a yeah. little bit. Like, what do you suggest? What do we do? Well, like I was into earthworms and then we, we have to lure him out and, yeah. I like that element to it, but I thought I thought Matthew Broderick was great in this movie. I mean, what do you what do you all think? Because you know, you have Maria Patillo, you have the cast of The Simpsons here and there, which is, I guess, casting directing knew who the Simpsons were and they wanted to all be in it, which I thought was great. Um, but what 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 do you what do you think about the casting here? Do you want to go down? Yeah, yeah I, I loved the cast. Like you said, Jean Renault is uh, awesome. Uh, Kevin Kevin Pollock is just hilarious. As, wait, like, Kevin Pollock's in this? Not Kevin Pollock. Kevin Dunn. Kevin, Kevin Dunn. Dunn. Kevin Dunn. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, wait. What? Did I miss something? <laughs> that would have been more exciting. Kevin Dunn as the as the <laughs> general guy or whatever. Like every everyone in it really works for me. I think the um, just I don't want to get in trouble. I, I I don't remember the two female leads ever going on to ever do anything else again. 
I've never seen. Right. It's Maria Patillo. And it's, there's a funny story I have. It was in college and my friend who had seen this movie, I saw this, he was firmly convinced that Sarah Jessica Parker was in, was the Maria Patillo character, like the love interest. And I was like, it's not. And he's like, yes, it is. And I was like, you want to bet? So we bet 50 bucks on him. Of course he lost. He's like, who the fuck is Maria Patillo? You know? And it's like Maria Patillo. Yeah. She's done some TV and movies, but nothing you'd really recognize, but I'm curious on why they hired her for this. They weren't, she wasn't, um, they weren't miscast or misused. Um, I think maybe if you got a bigger actress, maybe it takes away from some of the things or maybe it adds to it. I don't know. I'm not saying they did a poor job. I'm just saying like they were there. Their roles were what they were. They were perfectly uh, equipped for whatever happened. But then I can't remember ever seeing them again, which is so rare for a movie that's this big um, and this huge that I'm shocked that they didn't have bigger names in the female roles. Right. There, I mean, there wasn't. It was 1998 Godzilla. I, I was curious on how they landed on that. Maybe people didn't want the script. I don't know. But I did like, with Matthew Broderick, I really loved how Matthew Broderick was introduced because Matthew Broderick is a the theater musical man and his character is introduced by him singing singing in the rain like right. really well and I was like oh man that's brilliant because nobody everybody thinks of him as Ferris Bueller so yeah. I really I really like that what, what do you think Preston what do you think about that no I don't think Matthew Broderick's miscast I don't think any of the cast members are really miscast the whole movie is mis, uh miscast as a film <laughs> so um that's that's the problem um no i think matthew broderick's really good in this type of role i think he he's he's good at creating understanding for others that are around him he kind of does the same thing in cable guy where he's trying to get jim carrey's character to kind of you know step down a little bit and have some, like when they're having that confrontation thing at the end with the satellite dish um so he's he's good at that and just like you said, Brian, like all the, the bringing in science and like all that stuff was really interesting to me because I, I like process stuff in films. And it seems like he was using all of what he knows to understand this larger than life situation. And um, I it, it's in, one of the interesting things that I thought about following it is like speaking of Maria Patillo as uh, Audrey Timmons, who was his characters, Matthew Broderick's characters, college girlfriend, and they've been not together. Like he proposed, she wasn't ready. I think she wanted to be more career focused and wanted to work her way up the ladder to be a, a good reporter in the, in the New York area. And uh, <laughs> it, it didn't, it didn't pan out. She and left man, him she, without a note or anything. Yeah, just about yeah, that. yeah. Like Matthew Broderick, I think any normal, uh, maybe not normal, but just like <laughs> another another character or another actor in the film probably would have approached it like, God, Lee, you suck because you just stole from me. You took my tape that had all that, yeah. this, this. And I, I don't know that it would end with them kissing. At no, the it wouldn't. Like if you had Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China in that role, he would be he would say, son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's no coming back from something like that. Uh, I mean, the, the, there's at least like she's remorseful and and uh, there's that she feels somewhat sorry for it. Uh, sorry for the for her actions and everything like that. So it, it's somewhat better, but still, I don't know if, if that happened to me and my, and you just like 
ruin my career. But I, I think what softened it for him was that, you know, the, the French Foreign League, Legion or the secret French service or whatever it's called, uh, Jean Renault's uh, elite team there, um, like he becomes involved with them. And I think that kind of softens the blow a little bit so he can still feel like, okay, I can get things done. And so that, that makes it a little bit better. Yeah, I just I would just love to think that Jean Renault's character from The Professional didn't die, and this is what he went on to. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like that would be that would be great. So okay, so casting, so visual effects. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said visual effects, everybody, and both Preston and Dan tilted their head to the side and go. Ah. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I will say that having watched something like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie or something like that, I think they they at least got some of the design work and like it looks pretty good uh, with like the earlier sequences when you only see pieces of the Godzilla and, yeah. and because they are more you can see the blending of them using practical effects uh, with like a, a footprint or like a close-up. They probably used a miniature close-up for the face and the eyes and that sort of thing. Like it looks pretty good there when they're doing like, you know, pulling from Jurassic Park and doing, trying to blend it as much as they can. But it's also a very big beast that's taller than a T-Rex in Jurassic Park. And so there's there's a lot more rendering that needs to be done there. So when, you know, the helicopters are fighting it in the city and you're dealing with black and darkness and rain and there, there's a lot because uh, they're trying to create a, a mood there, but the technology wasn't quite there, especially when you get to like all the babies at the very end when they're like chasing after them. You can see like uh, it, it doesn't look quite right. Um, but it's not the worst that I've seen. I think I've seen, uh, I haven't seen uh, Ant-Man Quantumania, but uh, I've heard about it. And so um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where were you both have seen it, I think. And so where would you say that this uh, special effects lands with some of the things that are being created today? Oh, I mean, I think today is, it looks a lot smoother on screen. There's other problems with this stuff today, but this definitely looked like, I, I agree with you. Anytime there was just a piece of Godzilla being seen, or it was those mood setting scenes where, oh, his tail is going around the corner of this building. Oh, his foot's going down here. Oh, his scales are coming up in the water. I think it looked good. I'll give it a good. The minute yeah. they revealed the entire monster of Godzilla, it just, it honestly looked like, um, not claymation, but it just looked like it didn't belong. Like you had a photorealistic scene of New York and then you just have the monster hopping through there. Um, it didn't look great. But then again, I say that. And then one of the scenes where it looked the worst, I thought it was a great POV shot when they had the inside of the helicopter chasing it through the skyscrapers. Right, like that was yeah. such an awesome and inventive shot um, for at least 1998 times chasing the monster through it. It just sucks that the monster looked like shit but it was such a cool visual effect. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think they mixed, you know, practical use like they did in Jurassic Park um, with, you know, animatronics and models and then CG. And maybe with this, they went with a different company because I believe originally it was going to be Stan Winston doing the stuff and they, and then that didn't happen if I remember correctly. But 
it's... I think he probably respected uh, Steven Spielberg because I remember Steven Spielberg or reading at one point that he wanted nothing to do with this movie because he wanted to protect, you know, the experience of the original Godzilla films. And so maybe Stan Winston had, maybe that would create some, what would that be like? Hey, you're going to work with on this property that means a lot to me. And I don't, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. I'm curious on how that goes too. Uh, I don't know, but uh, with with visual effects, I think some things work and some things don't hold up quite as well. I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater and almost being blown away or is like, oh, yeah, that looked pretty cool and realistic. But coming back today and you're watching it, it's like, ooh, there's some things that look very Roland Emmerich with models and blowing up buildings. But Godzilla itself, like when he crawls out of the sewer and it almost looks kind of like a bodybuilding lizard. And I yes. was like laughing. I was like, what are with, we with, doing? With the, with the eye. Yeah. It's like it blinks. Yeah, some of the yeah. effects there. Mixed bag of special effects. But I think that the intent to make the scenes as cool as possible was always at the forefront. It's just, they were, they were limited by the technology of their time. <laughs> so. they, they were. And so let's talk about one of my favorite characters. And I'm just so curious why he hasn't been in every movie as a character actor, but Hank Azaria as the cameraman animal, because like we saw him in the birdcage as Agador Spartacus, arguably one of the best, you know, coast characters in a movie ever. Uh, but he's so great here. He's like, what kind of pushes the movie forward? He's He wants the best for like, his uh his friends and his co-workers and like his relationship with his girlfriend in the movie is hilarious and he's kind of an action star in this movie too like what do you think like why didn't he take off after this i mean he's counting his money from simpsons but you know what 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 i, I was going to tell you exactly why because i looked this up at the height obviously the simpsons stuff happened with a poo or whatnot i don't know if he's still doing that with them but he is worth he is worth $100 million. His net worth is $100 million. And at the height of his Simpsons, he was making anywhere between $400,000 and $500,000 per episode of The Simpsons. So the reason why he wasn't in these movies, which he is objectively very good at, is because he can go into a recording booth for six weeks and then spend the rest of his year with his family or whoever he's with, models, girlfriends, boyfriends, on an island because he is rich <laughs> that that's insane that's amazing and i'm very happy about that uh i want him in more stuff because he's so good and we've seen him recently in some other things that have been great but... it's in mystery man yeah he was in mystery Blue raja <laughs> he's very fun he he's just he is so good and he's um yeah, he what was he in? He was in something very recently that I really liked. Oh, I can't even remember. What, oh, Smurfs. He was he was Gargamel and Smurfs, which he did a great job in. Oh, yeah. He was in Marvelous Miss Maisel. Hello uh, tomorrow. And what? Hello tomorrow. The, oh, yeah. Hello tomorrow. Apple space show. Yes. Um, but he's just so good in this. And, you know, like him not voicing a poo, but he he voices like. 10 to 15 characters on the Simpsons still. But I mean, he was, but I mean, he was doing that for what? 20. Yeah. Some, so 25 years. years. Yeah. I know he wasn't making that much money at the beginning, but listen, I, I, I think we're, I think we're better for it because everything I've ever seen him in, I loved. 
Like, I love him as a character. And I wonder if he was doing two movies a year, if the character actor would reach a saturation point where I'd be like, oh, he's doing this thing again. Whereas now every everything I've ever seen him, in, I'm like, oh, I like him in this. He's fun in this or he does this right. So yeah, might be a scarcity is increasing his value to me. And do you think like for Matthew Broderick, this seems like it's weird because you think of Matthew Broderick of the theater, you think him of like, you know, comedy, maybe romance, but, you know, and then we saw him in glory, which he was the general, which he was, mm-hmm. you know, surprisingly, I liked him in it. Um, but in an action movie, he's like almost the leading action man without doing many actiony things like you would see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, it's interesting because I can't think of another movie where Matthew Broderick is an action star like Tom Cruise, but this was clearly. He's like the control room guy. Okay, but he was the main character. Well, you know who he reminds me of? Another movie we did. He kind of has the John Cusack role from um, Con Air, where he's in the action movie, but other than drive a car fast or be chased by things, he's not like out there kicking ass or being like a badass. But he's Yeah, he's he's not John Wick. (laughs) i was just about to ask it (laughs) can you guys imagine how quickly john wick would have cleared out madison square garden (laughs) all the dinos he would have killed like six of those baby zillas with a basketball left over by uh (laughs) but i guess that's not the movie they wanted to make you know like it was it's not an action year. I guess the action stuff comes from Godzilla itself or the little baby Godzillas. Yeah. It's and, a chase movie. Yeah, no, that's what it is. It's chasing him through Manhattan basically is the, like what the scene is. And because that they put it that way, because they didn't want Godzilla to be Godzilla and fight another monster threatening. They wanted Godzilla to just be an animal, not heroic, not villainous. Which Listen, anytime you can tie up an innocent animal in metal wires and then shoot it with several rockets to end your movie instead of having it fight another monster, you, I mean, you just got to do it. I mean, the writing's on the wall. How successful was this movie? And you got to do it. And then you have to end your movie with Puff Daddy's remake. <laughs> come, remake. Come with me. Come yeah. with me, you know, which was a huge song. I still listen to that song because it's. Yeah. It's it gets good. you amped up. It gets you f- fun. I remember his performance of it on Saturday Night Live. Like it was, oh, it was really funny to to hear. And you know, you hear like the dinosaur, the baby dinosaur at the end of the egg roar, and then you just hear like do do do, and you're just like, oh okay. You're like, yeah, you're like ah Led Zeppelin. Oh, <laughs> but really? You're just like, man, 1998 is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want i'm curious what did this go up against movie hope floats was week two baby hope floats was week two okay so oh my god so it was hope, oh, hope floats and wait what oh here we go oh my god mission impossible oh we can no it wasn't that but it was uh lethal weapon four it looks like and hope floats and deep impact which we talked about on this <laughs> program. So yeah, uh, first place, Hope Floats overtook Deep Impact for second place, Lethal Weapon 4. So, oh my goodness. When did yeah. Armageddon come out? Wasn't that 1998 too? It, it was It was 98, but I don't remember. It, it was, it was a, I'm looking it up. Later? Was late, I think it was late summer. Armageddon 1998 was uh, July 1st. Oh. 
We should have known that. that was- July 1st, and this was May 20th, so this had quite a bit of time to kind of be in theaters. Good runway. Yeah. And I mean, it was successful. Like the movie cost 130, 150 million and it made almost 400 million. So you're, you're getting your money back there, but oh man, it's critically planned. And so to kind of like round this out, I'm curious from what you say, like this has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think 19% is pretty harsh. Like, I feel like it's not a 19%. It's way above that. What do you think? 59%. (laughs) I mean, that's still a huge bump. Holy shit. I, after watching it yesterday, I'd be somewhere in the upper 40s if I had to recalculate it. Like, I mean, I would not, a lot of these movies we watch here, we tell people like rush out and watch this. You know what I mean? Like you got to check it out, give it another chance. I don't think I would tell people to give this movie another chance. Honestly, I would rather Netflix or Hulu or something, go and give me a 45 minute documentary of the marketing of this movie and how it just yeah. took over the United States of America. That is more interesting to me. The stuff I had more fun talking with you guys about today is the special effects, the marketing of it, the decisions of the writing, like things that did not happen on screen. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. It, it was about the marketing of it. And it was in 1998. Roland Emmerich was big as can be. And I don't know. It just kind of failed. And I'm glad they came back and they've talked about it and saying like, this is where we went wrong. But again, I think like this, this deserves more than a 19%. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably where Preston is like in the upper fifties. I don't know if it's a passable, but it's an interesting alternate take on this universe. Like, yes, we've gotten the monster verse with Godzilla in the sequel and Kong and Godzilla versus Kong. We're getting more of that. And we're seeing like what, it is in the American universe as opposed to Japan where it was like a man in a suit. This is like the big budget version and they're doing it really well and really good. And here it was like, Hey, I I really think it was that Kevin Smith story about Superman. I don't want him in the suit. I don't want him to fly. And it's like Godzilla. I don't want him to breathe fire. I don't want him to be a kaiju. Well, he breathes fire. He doesn't just do the, the electric blast thing that he does. He does breathe fire. I thought that was what he he breathes. No, he breathes fire like a dragon. Uh, so in in that scene, when I watched it again, and even back then, I was like, okay, he's blowing up cars, and are there just the cars exploding with the fire, and that's what's creating the fire, and not from inside his mouth. That's what I thought. That's what I thought too. I'm pretty sure it's straight up breathes fire. I didn't think he was breathing fire because I thought when he did that, all of the explosions and the cars crashing, that created the fire. And that was the illusion that he breathed fire. That's what I thought, too. I thought that's what they were going for there. No, that's I'm what willing I thought. That's wrong. what I I'm always willing. thought until Preston blew my mind. That he I know. Fire. I like to think this is also a sequel to um, um, Ronan. This is where John Renault <laughs> yes. went after after they got that case. He was just like, I'm just joining the French Foreign Legion or whatever. You know, it'll yeah, be so much secret easier. Foreign all, Legion. Of sudden, all of a sudden he's like, Oh shit. I'm I go from looking at a at a briefcase with Robert De Niro, and now they're sending me on a wild goose chase to figure out this lizard problem. <laughs> this lizard problem. <laughs> I mean, the way Giant he drove, lizard. it's the only explanation, the way he drove that cat. It is, it is. Oh my goodness. So um yeah, this is Godzilla 1998. It is available on Tubi for free, or you can rent it or buy it on any major digital platform at the moment. I 
don't think there's been a collector's 4K edition out on this yet. But there is a blue. Uh, There's a steel book of it. Okay, so I was just reading. And so it says that it has power breath. And so, yeah, it used the flames from the the cars to still uh, have like a gas-like thing to blow um, fire. Okay. All right. At its enemies. So it doesn't okay. have an All ignition right. source. Right. There, we go. there we go. So Godzilla right there. 1998. We are Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast, uh, Godzilla style. Check it out if you want to revisit it. It's better than the 19% it is given, but uh, you can see where they were going with this. And it's fun to see Matthew Broderick in the cast of The Simpsons here. Yeah, so, so I can say the <clears throat> best thing about this movie is that it somewhat had to have somewhat equipped Roland Emmerich to make the Patriot, which is his best movie. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Straight from Godzilla to the Patriot, you know, two, two peas in a pod there. One, one monster to another. There you go. <laughs> monster of a different kind. There you go. I love that. Uh, Fear and Loathing and Cinema Podcast. Follow Dan Moran on Instagram. He runs our Fear and Loathing Podcast Instagram. Follow it. Read his reviews on boomstickcomics.com as well. And then you can find Preston Barta. Find all of his amazing interviews and reviews on movies and pop culture at the Denton Record Chronicle. And uh, find his stuff out on freshfiction.tv. You can see his coverage of Fan Expo. And you can see what he's been doing with one of his best friends, Robocop himself, Peter Weller, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, I got some stories for y'all. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then... um. Uh, yeah, find him on there. He's on Instagram at uh, Blu ray dad and Twitter at Preston Barta. Check him out, check his interviews out. They're amazing. I'm Brian Kluger. Check me out at highdefdigest.com, boomstickcomics.com, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Brian Kluger. Um, our other podcast, My Bloody Podcast, talking about horror movies with Preston, and also Wednesdays from noon till 2 p.m. Central Time Soundtracks Radio. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.